Daniel Watches podcast, and today I got a special guest, man, 17-year NBA veteran, Andre Miller, and he probably don't remember me. He was in the same draft in 1999 as my brother, Middle World Peace. <laughs> um, we definitely crossed paths in the draft, but I was 16 years old at the time and stuff, so, you know, I want to thank you for coming on to the show, Dre. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Um, and also, I got with me uh, Chris Mills, which is part of 265 Media, and also from the Off the Glass podcast, I got Zach Rainey. Zach, what's going on, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Just glad to be a part of the platform. You know, this is a, a special day. Like I said, this is one of my favorite guys going back to college, not just the league, one of my favorite college players, man. So for you to ask me to be a part of this, man, I just want to say thank you, man. I definitely appreciate it, man. I can't wait, man. I know this is going to be some really good content right here for the fans. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I want to get, I just want to get started and, and start from the beginning and work my way up. And um, so Andre, uh, what, what got you into basketball? Man, just like you guys, man, I've been playing basketball since I was little. Just dribbling, dribbling through the streets, and you know, just an act, just like all of us having those hoop dreams, and you know, just just playing in the streets, and you know, it was lucky enough to have some good people in my corner, and you know, pushed me with that basketball. I didn't, never thought I could play in the NBA. It was just a dream, just like all the other kids, and you know, was fortunate enough to find my way to uh, University of Utah. You know, figured that out, and was blessed enough to to carve out 17 years in the NBA. So, you know, I was I was blessed, you know, definitely, you know, just like all of us that have good people in our corners that was pushing us and, you know, a little bit of hard work and, and a little bit of luck paid off. Yeah. So um, who do you credit for your development as a basketball player when you were younger? Like any coaches that, that stood out? Man, I credit the TV. I credit the TV, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, watching Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, Gary Payton, you know, just like all of us, you know, in that age group that, that you know, sat there on Sunday mornings and, you know, had an opportunity to watch basketball. I just kind of mimicked everything that they did. And, you know, fortunate enough, you know, I played, played in Los Angeles, grew up in Los Angeles during the Showtime era. So, you know, to see those wars between Magic and Jordan and Isaiah, you know, everybody wanted to, you know, you know, be like Magic Johnson or Michael Jordan. And, and I was one of those kids. If I did have to credit somebody besides the TV, um, I would credit my godfather. Um, that was my kindergarten teacher's husband who took me in. Uh, they kind of took me in. And um, I was just that kid following behind the teacher in kindergarten. And then she started taking me home with her. Started mm. taking me home with her. They had three sons, uh, a set of twins and an older brother, and, and they got me into YMCA basketball probably like five, six years old, and I stayed with that, and, you know, I, I, I consider him like a, a father figure to this day. Uh, both of my god brothers, uh, you know, end up going to HBCUs um, mm. to get their education. All three of them actually went to, uh, they went to Wilberforce and uh, Morehouse University, and I took off to Utah. And uh, we still family to this day. They still like my brothers. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. And we're gonna get into um, um, certain certain schools and stuff um further down the line in this conversation. Cause that's um, crazy though. I had to. I can't. I, I can't let that pass. My grandmother graduated from Wilberforce. Oh, like, okay. what is the odds of that, man? Like, that's that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> I haven't heard that name in a long time. A long mm. time. So um, yeah. you're from LA. So who was your toughest competition growing up in LA? It's a, it's a, a, a 
some great point guards you you played against growing up in that LA area. You know what's crazy is um, LA is I mean the, the city's so big but yet small just like everywhere else. Um, you know it was competition everywhere, but I I didn't get the opportunity to play um like travel ball AAU ball. Yeah. It was just it was just all in the streets. So mm. some of my toughest competitors was was guys that was in the streets, and you you guys know all the stories of, of those guys that had the super game, and you know yeah. it kind of didn't work out because they wasn't pushed in the right direction. You know those was probably my my toughest competitors was was the guys you you don't talk about, just you know the the hood the hood person that that had the super game that you you competed against, or or maybe a relative. So. I probably, if I had to pick, I'd say my cousin. I had a cousin, you know, who, um, you know, me and him, same age. We just went at it all the time, man. And you throw that in with the neighborhood and everything that's going on. That, that was probably, you know, something that helped develop me the most. Yeah, it's always like that, too. Like, because when I was coming up, and, you know, I, I grew up in the same house as Meta, you know. So, you know, but he wasn't my toughest competition. There's a dude named John Hemingway, man. I could never beat him when we was growing up in Queensbridge and um in, the, in these tournaments, man. And the only time I got him because I was um, on my way playing pro and he was he he was done. He was out of shape. So I was able to finally get him and win the championship in Queensbridge, you know. So, um yeah, we always have those 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 tough players that um who who could have been great, but you know, stuff got in the way. I mean, we all have those players, them, them things. So like, like yeah. you said, you're from LA, you're from the Watts Compton area. Um, so are there any players, like like you said, it was your cousin, but are there any other players like who was really good, but um, that couldn't really get over the hump that also pushed you to be great too as well? Man, it was, it was so many of them, you know, some of them end up passing away. It was one, one brother um, from my neighborhood, his name was Ernest Killam. And uh, he ended up going to Oregon State. Uh, he was, I think, behind Gary Payton and uh, Brent Berry. Okay. Uh, and um, he was like, he was like the Jordan of the neighborhood. You know, maybe <laughs> like about three or four years older than us. And when he came in the gym, everybody was like, you know, he gonna dunk, he gonna jump and jump high. You know, and he ended up going to Oregon State, and he had a heart attack after a basketball game mm. uh, at Oregon State. But um, he was he was a guy that was super good. It was so many guys, man. I can't even, you know, pinpoint, you know, it was just some special talents. And, you know, I was just, you know, I was blessed enough to have a mom that, you know, kind of kept me out the streets, let me go a little bit. But, you know, when them streetlights came on, everybody like your mom looking for you, Dre. Nope. Yep. Mom looking for you. So, you know, I, you know, I had a lot of people in my corner. So, you know, I, I was blessed and fortunate enough to, you know, be able to, to get both sides of the world and, you know, had a good good foundation at home. Can I follow up real quick, Dre? Because we all at that age, like I made 39 this year. So you find yourself kind of reflecting more, you know, especially when we have those quiet moments. Uh, I think we all come from kind of similar environments. What would you say? Because I would say those people who are able to listen. So even if you don't have the perfect home life, they're the ones that you can tend to kind of maneuver and make it out of those situations. What would you say kind of was the the driving force looking back on it? Because, you know, we all had those friends that had the similar upbringings or whatever that slipped through the cracks and didn't make it. I will argue is listening. What do you think was that trait for you that allowed you to kind of take heed to what was going on around you and able to maneuver through that situation and make it out and become successful? Man, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I would say my mom uh, and, and 
I didn't really reflect on my upbringing and everything till after basketball was over. So I, you know, everything was moving so fast and I was making so many mistakes and enjoying life and, and trying to stay committed to basketball that I didn't even really think about, you know, what I went through to get there until after I retired. So, um, you know, I would, I mean, my mom, my mom was on me hard, man. My mom was in my corner, you know, and I was blessed enough, you know, my friends, my friends, for the most part, almost over half of them have fathers in the home. Mm. You know, they have fathers in the home. So I was able to go to houses where there was a, a black mom and a black dad, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, there was some values and morals you know, it's, it, even if it was street or hood, it was still a mom and a dad. You know, I had right. some buddies that, you know, kind of kind of was like the, the Cosby's. You know mm. what I'm saying? So, you know, I was able to go over there and, 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 and eat a meal. You know what I'm saying? You know, or, or, or just kick back it until, you know, it was time to go home. So I was fortunate enough to have some father figures around me where I was like, okay, this is how I'm supposed to act as a man when I get older. And I just kind of, kind of, you know, mimic that and and, and kind of observe from a distance. So I think I was a little bit mature early on because I was kind of forced into that, you know, through a circumstance and situation to to have to take on some uh some some roles that I, I didn't need to as a kid. But um, you know, it, it was it was good people in my corner, and I was blessed enough that that my mom put me in those positions. So can't really pinpoint anybody, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know some guys that. I know some guys that, man, you know, that were a lot better than me and, and left off to go to college and, and play hoops or get a scholarship or just go for education. And something happened at home, maybe a father passed or something happened in the family and they and they're kind of like the breadwinner of the family, you know, and they like, shoot, I got to go back. I got to go back home, man. I, I can't. I got to give up this basketball stuff, you know, in order for the bigger picture to go take care of my mom or take care of my sister or brother. So, you know, you know, so many different circumstances. Mm. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Interesting. Um, a lot of people didn't know, but you was actually a football player too. You played quarterback. Uh, can you describe the similarities of being a quarterback and a point guard? And the, sim- the similarities is probably, probably um, the leadership. The leadership part. Um, the only reason why I played football is because the homeboys in the neighborhood forced me to. You know, it, was, it, was, it was my last. It was my last year of high school, and um, I didn't want to be in the house no more. So I was finding ways to stay out the house. So um, you know, dudes in the neighborhood and guys at the school was like, "Hey, man, you gonna play football? You gonna play football?" And I got out there, man, and you know, I was getting tore up left and right. I didn't even know how to call a play. I didn't know how to. I didn't know how to read defense. All I did was, I knew how to communicate as far as, hey man, just run the route and not throw the ball. You know what I'm saying? But that was about it, man. And you know, I think as far as the similarities, it's just the leadership, the leadership, and leading by example. I think that's where I earned my respect because I had never put on any pads until I was a senior in high school, and I actually thought I was doing something. I was trash. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I just, tried, I, just tried to, I just tried to lead by example, man, just with my work habits and practice habits. And I think that leadership stuff was something that, you know, stood out the most with, with the similarities in basketball and football. Mm. 
Okay. Uh, I got a question for you, Joy. Uh, being at uh, your senior year, you won uh, CIF Division 4A Player of the Year, um, averaging 24 and 7. Um, was there, uh, what was the competition like in, in 4A? Because I know, because actually you were the only one to win player of the year that year. And then years after that, that's when 4-1, uh, 4-2, came into play. You know what? Like the, I went to a small all-boys school in the hood. <laughs> and, um, you know, like we didn't get to play the, we didn't get to play the top schools, you know, like we played modern day, which was, you know, nationally was always good. And then Crenshaw back in the day. And then there was a school up north called Jesuit. But we didn't get to play those teams because we were a small private school. I was at a small private school. So um, it was, you know, the competition was decent. You know, the only time I really got the chance to play against some real competition was if I go jump, go jump on the summer league team you know, in the summer and, and get up and down the court with some big boys. But, you know, I was blessed enough to have some some real ballers on my high school team. And, and the crazy thing was I wasn't even a point guard. I wasn't even a point mm. guard. You know, I was I was a chubby fat kid, then stick in. I knew how to dribble and stuff, you know, but, you know, I played inside. I played inside a lot more, you know, because we had a lot of quick guards and, you know, just running around, shooting the ball. And I was probably the more physical one at that age. So, you know, um, the, the competition was good, but as far as league play, it was it was decent. It was decent. Okay, okay cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so you just mentioned that you went to a private school. You know, you always been to a private school from what, when I did my research, your mom always had stress education. So like, how was it, you know, growing up in the hood, but also going to private schools, you know, seeing uh, both sides? What's crazy is the school, um, the private school that I did go to in high school had a lot of history and sports and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it, you know, a, a small, you know, predominantly black school in the hood connected to the projects, basically. Really? You oh, know? Wow. And, and, um, you know, it had a lot of sports history. And the only reason why I went there is because it was walking distance. So I know, I know for sure my mom wasn't going to send me to the, the other maybe four or five local schools right there because that was like a death trap. Right. So I, know, I knew if I went to, to that school, my mom put me in that school, you know, the, the school was surrounded by a gate. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. you, know, you got the train tracks and then you got the gate and then you got the projects connected behind. So, you know, it was a little bit, a little bit more safer than going to the, to the local public schools that were dangerous. So, you know, um, I enjoyed that experience. I needed that experience because girls could be somewhat a distraction. So, you know, um, you know, I, I was, I, I had a great experience in high school, man. I wouldn't change it for the world. Mm, that's cool, man. Um, so like, was your approach to the game basically a direct response to your mom's approach to the hard work? Because from what I read, like your mom's took a bus from LA to Dallas to watch you play, you know, came back home and still made it to work. <laughs> so how did your mom's values and hard work uh, rub off on you? I think, um, you know, uh, it was kind of like teamwork, mm -hmm. you know, and it was like, you know, once I really start, you know, ever since I was uh, a kid, you know, my mom was the one running up and down the court, like, you better not mess up, you better not mess up, you know, <laughs> cheering this and that. If, if I turn the ball over, mess up, you're going to walk home, all types <laughs> of stuff. So it was just like, you know, strict motivation, but also, you know, it was an outlet, you know, basketball was an outlet and the time to have fun. And, 
you know, my mom was into sports and it, and 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 the people around me were into sports too, you know, during that during those 80s, especially with the Lakers. So, yeah. you know, where I did play basketball, YMCA in Inglewood, I mean, that was walking distance from where the where the farm was and the Lakers mm-hmm. used to practice there. Yeah. So, um uh-huh. you know, um it, it was a, it was a great experience, man. My mom, my mom, she that bus stuff, you know, I think she just wasn't used to flying because she's not afraid to fly, you know, but it was, I think it was just something that she did as a peace of mind, you know, to get on, because we were so used to getting on the Greyhound a lot when I was younger, mm. you know, so I guess that was her means of getting around, you know, back then. I still travel on Greyhounds today, man. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. It's, 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 it's not as comfortable as it used to be, but I, I still be on that, on that Greyhound bus. Sometimes I don't want to fly. Sometimes I like to read a lot. So yeah. I'll be on, I'll be on that bus or that Amtrak and, and just, and just be chilling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, you did, you know, had your struggles academically, you know, in high school and everything too, as well. So like how stressful it was when you couldn't qualify, you know, academically and like, you know, your scholarship offers um, went away, except for the one, um, you know, with Utah. Did you consider going the junior college route too? No, what's crazy is, man, I was, I wanted to go to a HBCU. Yep. You know, so um, my grades were fine. It wasn't, to, it was just the SAT scores. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking like, you know, I could play division one, this and that. I didn't even know where Salt Lake City was on the map at the time. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, all I knew was UCLA and USC and the, and the schools close by. And yeah. I was like, you know, if I was able to get a scholarship to those, cool. But, you know, when I sent out applications and stuff to go to universities, I was sent, I think I sent one to Ohio State because I had some ties to Columbus, Ohio. And then um, the rest of them was HBCUs. Mm. So, you know, um, I still remember my mom's uh, husband had bought me a a video camcorder or something for my birthday. So my cousin would record the games in high school. He would record the games. So I sent those out, you know, to try to get a scholarship. But I, you know, I sent it to Ohio State, never heard back. And then the HBCUs, I mean, they didn't know what they wasn't recruiting no kids from California anyway. So you yeah. know, you had to get in, you had to get in academically. And that that didn't work for me. So, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm um, staying on staying on HBCU real quick. Um, which HBUs HBCUs you were considering at that time? I mean, all the LA kids back then. We like, you know, our counselors like, you know, try Howard, you know, <laughs> um, Howard. Uh, what's the school in Atlanta? Morehouse. Um, I I think it was like Fisk, Dillard. You know, um, just just schools. You know, where I can go and be myself. You know what I'm saying? HBCUs where I could, you know, uh, get a black college experience. And, you know, that Utah scholarship came in and my mom was like, you going there. <laughs> get, get, your, get your butt out the house and don't come back. So, um, you know, Utah was, was a definitely an HBCU at all. It was, it, you know, I wouldn't change that experience because it did open my eyes on the real world. Yeah, it opened my eyes on on how other races see me, how they see people of color, you mm. know. And, and um, you know, I crossed some good and bad while I was out there, but I crossed more good, more good than bad on my in my experience in Utah. And I 
And I hate to say probably because I dribbled a basketball, I'm not sure, mm. but um, I did cross some, some great people, some, you know, my college roommate who ended up playing in the NBA, uh, also Mike Doliak, you know, mm. I consider him like a brother, you know what I'm saying? Some, I had some good teammates. I had some, I had some guys on the team that was tough and we thought the same way we all had the, the, the same goals and, and, and we stayed in the summertime and we worked on our games, we worked on our bodies and, and we respected where each other came from. And that was the main thing. You know, I knew where they came from and then they knew where I came from. So talk, talk about that though, elaborate though. How did you end up in Utah? I want to hear that story. Like, you know, cause again, AAU at that time is not quite where it is now. I mean, it existed, but we know it then completely took off now. How does Rick Majerus find Andre Miller from California and get him all the way up to Utah? How, how did that walk us through that, please? So, um, like I said, I never played no travel ball, never played any travel ball. But one summer, I decided to go play in this. It was like a league, and it was called like the Rockfish League. And I went, I went, I went and played in that, man. I was just hooping, man. I don't, for like a whole summer, man, I was playing like six, seven games a day. Mm. And, uh, my mom was at the game because, you know, back then I had a lot of energy. Like, I, you know, if it was a basketball anywhere, I could just go dribble and play. It didn't matter where it was at. Mm. So I played this league. And then um, um, uh, uh, Rick Majerus comes up to me. And he, this is his exact words. He says, uh, hey, you're a good kid. He say, um, you're pretty good, but um, do you want to do you want to play college basketball? I was like, yeah, my, my dream is to play in the NBA. He was like. Well, I'm going to offer you a scholarship, but I'm not going to offer you a scholarship because I think you're talented. So hmm. I'm going to offer you a scholarship because um, your mom is, moms look like she's a cool person. <laughs> That's why he offered me a scholarship. But um, the recruitment process came from the assistant coach who was black. Uh, his name was Donnie Daniels. Hmm. He actually went to my high school. Yeah. Hmm. He actually went to my high school in L.A. So he was a graduate, played back then, and then he was the assistant coach at Utah, ended up going to UCLA, coached at Fullerton, and then he just left Gonzaga. So he was at Gonzaga like 10 plus years. So he's a, one of the, probably one of the more premier uh, NCAA black assistants. You know, so he recruited me and, you know, I, at that time, I, I didn't know what a letter was. I didn't know, you know, like everybody was like, hey, man, I got a letter. I got a letter. I got a letter. You know, that was big back then. So, you know, I credit, I, I, I won't credit Rick Majerus as much. I'll probably credit Donnie Daniels, you know, for uh, recruiting, you know, coming back and, and, and coming to his alma mater and, and uh, seeing wherever some players at. Yeah, uh, I know being from, well, growing up and being from the Watts, Compton area, how much of a culture shock was it going to Utah? Man, <laughs> look, man, I went out there, I went out there to Utah, man, with, with a blanket, with one blanket and a, and a little bitty bag, man. I was like that, like uh, that kid from uh, Charlie Brown. <laughs> you know the, the, dust, the dusty, dirty kid, man. It was, it was so much of a culture shock, man, that you know, I was so, I ain't gonna say I was so messed up in the head. I didn't even know how to, you know, I didn't know how to talk. I didn't know how to walk. I didn't know how to communicate because I was, you know, I was shy and I was embarrassed, you know, not from where I was, where I come from, but how people would look at me. Mm. 
And, um, you know, to have people not know, you know, to sit in classes with people that don't know who Martin Luther King is or Rosa Parks, or their first question is, you know, what was it like to be in the riots? You know, like, <laughs> like, 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 is this how you look at me and people of color? And, you know, it was a culture shock at first, but, you know, once I got, you know, familiar and, and went through a few things, you know, that, that was kind of embarrassing, you know, you know, I just pretty much just just focused on working hard and 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 not messing up. The main thing was not to mess up and and let my mom down and and uh be that be that statistic that did that waste the opportunity. Mm. So um one thing I did was, you know, coach say, you know, you're gonna make sure I got my degree. That happened, and everything after that, you know, was a blessing. Mm. I wanted to step back real quick because um and ask another question on the HBCU real quick because now we have a lot of five star high school kids you know now considering you know HBCUs like what's your thoughts on this on this new narrative switch that you don't have to go to big time D one schools or blue blood schools to to still reach your NBA goals? Yeah, I mean I think you know the the smaller institutions are, are trying to bridge that gap mm-hmm. between the predominantly white institutions and in the recruitment process and. You know, I love it, man. I told myself if I was to get into any coaching on a collegiate level, it'd be it had to be a HBCU um, because, you know, I've seen, you know, these kids get exploited. I've seen these mm-hmm. kids get taken advantage of, you know, um, and some of these, you know, Division One institutions, you know, you go there, you make the school a, a whole bunch of money. And it's like when you leave, it's like they don't know you anymore. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, at least you can go to, you know, HBCU and and be yourself number one, and be yourself number one. Um, you know, the sports stuff. And it, it, the thing is, for me, if I was to go coach at that level to, you know, share my experience and 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 that is something other than just dribbling the basketball, but also we can also compete with the with the best. It's not that. It's not, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you go. Cause if, you know, somebody's going to find you if you got, if you can play, Yeah. somebody's going to find you. And, and that's all it is to it. So, you know, I love the idea of these youngsters going to um, HBCUs. Uh, I think I saw on the other day, the one kid maker play for Howard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I hope more kids do it, you know, and you know, some things that I'm going, got going on, hopefully, will help uh, get that trended in the right direction here in California. Hmm, cool. So like when you came into Utah, like you just improved every year. You went from, you know, six points to nine points to 14 points to 15 points. Like what did you do every summer? What did you add on to your game every summer to get better? Man, um, I just didn't go home, man. I just hooped. I just hooped. You know, uh, only thing I can remember you know, when I played was my college coach, Majerus, he said, uh, oh, he said, this is what you're going to be here. He said, you're going to be a passer and a screener. Hmm. And I'm like, damn, how can I play basketball? Like, how am I going <laughs> to earn this guy's respect if I can't shoot the ball? Yeah. So, you know, I just learned to adjust. I'm going to be the best passer. I'm going to be the best screener. And the crazy thing was I was a shooter and scorer, you know, in high school. And yeah. that's a lot that these kids – you know, they expect, you know, to run before they crawl and walk. Yeah. And, um, you know, you got to put in the time and earn the coach's respect first 
but you know, in the summertime, I, I came home one time, one time, and that was the year, spring break, the year that I set out. Mm. Those other four years, man, I stayed in Utah. I hooped, I hooped where, I mean, morning, noon, and night, man, I hooped, you know, wherever it was, if it was with 80 year olds or if it was with 10 year olds, you know, I was just hooping. If it, and the good thing, the blessing about Utah was there was no other sports to compete with. That's true. You know, you had the Utah Jazz. So I had an opportunity to go work out in the summertime with John Stockton, Carl Malone, mm. you know, Brian Russell, Howard Isaac, them years where they went to the finals. Man, we was all the all the summers, all the summers was straight hooping with the Utah Jazz. Wow. You know, so if I get a chance to go shoot some jump shots with Jeff Hornacek, you know what I'm saying? And and get a workout in with John Stockton or watch how they they routine is. Man, I was there all the time. Mm. That's incredible because looking back on it, you're I'm a junior, I think, in high school. And I was just rocking with your team because that was when to me, like the golden era of college basketball, like the guard play was crazy. And like I said, on the lead in, you were one of my favorite guards. Now, I picked y'all to beat North Carolina. Kentucky, not so much. I'm going to keep it a buck with you. But I did have you guys beating North Carolina, not realizing. Walk us through that season, making it to the Final Four, the championship game. I know nobody outside that locker room um, expected that. So kind of just walk us through that because that, that was an incredible team y'all had that, that year. Man, all those teams that I was at Utah, man, I think three out of those four years we lost to Kentucky. The one mm -hmm. where they had Antoine Walker, where they had the whole in, the old college team was an NBA yeah, team yeah. in 96. I mean, they beat the snot out of us. But, um, you know, man, I tell people, man, the only time I ever felt like I was on a team was in college. The NBA, the NBA was just professionals and talent. But, mm. you know, um, I feel that, you know, my experience at Utah, I felt that everybody on the team we knew what each other was thinking. Like, and we had to communicate too, but we we felt like, okay, they knew if I didn't say nothing, they knew what the hell I was thinking. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And we all had that that same mindset. You know, we spent a lot of time together, where it was just, whether it was just hanging out or hanging out with the football players, you know, uh, challenging each other respectfully. You know, that that tournament vibe, that run, man, it was like the ultimate high because that was probably the first time that I ever felt like I had a big ego. <laughs> you know, like, like, man, we in the tournament. Nobody can't say nothing to me. Mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm the man. I go back to Utah. I'm getting free meals, you know, all types of stuff, man. I really had a big ego for like about <laughs> that, that year, 98. Yeah, I thought I was the man. <laughs> but you know, um, it was a it was a great experience, man, to play on that level, man. And you know, that's that's the best thing about college. You know, I'm kind of mixed on, you know, whether guys should go to college or if they're talented enough to go to the NBA, because the college experience, if you go there with an open mind and hard work, you never know who you're gonna cross. You don't ne you never know who's gonna be there to lend a helping hand in the future. You know, there's so many things that you miss out on, you know, if you don't go to college. You know, you get forced in that professional life, and it's a dog world. It's mm -hmm. a dog world to get that tap on the shoulder, you know, three or four times and say, hear somebody say, 
hey, man, we don't want you on this team no more. And you're only 18, 19 years old. And you got to have like super thick, you got to have like super thick skin. You got to have super thick skin to deal with that professional stuff. So, you know, um, for me, man, it was, man, it was a great experience. It was, I couldn't ask for nothing else, man. I had, I had good people around me. Do you, do you credit those summers playing with, against John Stockton for not being afraid or nervous when you went against Mike Bibby and Jason Terry and Miles Simon in that, in that game? <laughs> you know what? Um, I credit, I credit all those guys that played for the jazz, man, to see their work ethic. They was never out of shape, you know, and then, you know, they going to the finals against the goat, you know, against Jordan and I, you know, I'm playing in the tournament at the time. So, you know, um, you know, I, I credit everybody, you know, I put Mike Bibby and that team, you know, them Kentucky, Arizona teams, man, you know, believe it or not, man, I was nervous as hell. I was nervous, man, because, you know, those guys get all the attention, you know, and you like, man, they like, they like gods on, you know, the Dickie V level. You know what I'm saying? They diaper mm -hmm. daddy, you know, and then you got the Utah, we the underdogs. And it's like the nervousness. And then you guys know, like, when you see somebody that's like super good and then you get on the court with them and you like, you know what? I'm just as good as this person. Mm -hmm. or I'm probably better. Mm -hmm. All it takes is all it takes is the mindset and, you know, okay, they might be faster, stronger. And then after, you know, like, you know what, man, I'm, I might be just as good or better than this guy, <laughs> you know, and that's where the, the level of confidence comes in as, as far as, you know what, I can play with these guys. And that's kind of how. Which, which point guard you was better than? <laughs> I mean, they gonna probably say I felt like I was better than all of them. When I say, when I say all, when I say all around, you know, and, and that's the confidence that I have, the quiet confidence that I I have to have because they they saying the same same thing too. Exactly. So I know if it was heads up that I could go that I'm probably better than all of them defensively, offensively. I could keep up with them shooting or whatever. So. You know, that's how I approached it when I figured out, you know what? You know, I could I could play with these cats. They just they just getting a lot of attention. And the main thing for me was I never looked far ahead. I stayed in the moment. When all that stuff was going on, I wasn't mm -hmm. worried about as much as I was hooping with those NBA guys and stuff, man. I was like, man, I'm a college kid. I don't know what's gonna happen after this. I just gotta go out and do my best. Yep. So um, during during your pre-draft process, like how ready were you? Because, you know, um, did you think that you was going to be that high because of the, the, the names that was in the draft? You know, Lamar Odom, Elton Brand, you know, uh, my brother, Wiley Zerbiak, Sean Marion, Jason Terry, um, Rip Hamilton, McCoy McGetty, Jonathan Bender. Is this, yeah. is this so many names? Yeah, that was a crazy draft. Steve like, Francis. Steve Francis. Yeah, you know? That's right. He was in that draft. Aaron Davis. Yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> I'm even missing, you know? So yeah, like, man. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. It was some dogs, man. It was some dogs. And I, I mean, like, to see Ron Artesi, your brother, up close, um, to play against Lamar Odom, I still remember we played them in Chicago. I think it was like a grade eight or something. Mm. And we played Rhode Island in a, uh, in a little grade eight tournament before the season that started. I'm like, man, hold up, man. Let's do the 611. Let's do 611, man. Who is this guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, we just Utah, but you know, um, my college coach, man, they exposed me to stuff, man. You know, sending me to 
to USA basketball camps when I knew when they knew I wasn't gonna make no USA team. How are you gonna send me to Colorado <laughs> Springs? And this is guys like Tim Duncan, all these legends are in the gym. It's like a hundred dudes trying to make the roster was already set. And I still remember me and Earl, that's where I met Earl Boykins, and we was looking at each other like, do we belong here? Because this is these are some dogs in here. Like, so you know, um, you know, it, it, I mean, I got respect for all those guys, man, you know, and, and where they come from and what they had to do to get there through the process, man, because it, it had, it, it took a lot, man. It took a lot of hard work. Support for the Daniel Ortiz podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below the waist grooming needs. My personal experience with electric below the waist trimmers wasn't a pleasant one. Either I was always nicking myself or the battery didn't last long. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ARTTEST at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. I remember in college, like I seen you play, but I didn't really know who you are. Just, I just knew you was nice. You know what I mean? Um, and like, you know, you being a senior, you know how it was, you wasn't one of the one and dones, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, how how it was, but you, you know, you, you made it to the league, you know, you're a rookie, you behind a Brevin Knight and Earl Boinkins, then you started, you were starter, you was a starter at the end of the season. Like, so like, take us through that rookie year on like, you know, the beginning to the end and like how hard you had to work to really, you know, just prove yourself. Yeah, you know, what's crazy is when I was in college and I started meeting people when I got to the NBA, they thought I was they thought I was half white and they thought I was Mormon. <laughs> they thought I was half white, they thought I was Mormon. And then, <laughs> and then when I got to Cleveland, when I got to Cleveland, I still remember I was walking through the mall and it was some it was some older cats, some, some gutter looking dudes. Mm -hmm. It was like, man, we don't even need you here. <laughs> like we already got point guards, man. We don't we don't need no we don't need no another point guard with a what a horrible draft pick. So I'm, I'm by myself in the mall in the hood somewhere and I'm walking through and these dudes are saying this stuff to me. So I'm like, man, you know, my, I already had to grind and I had knew Earl and then I kind of knew Brevin cause we had played them in a tournament before too. So mm -hmm. my thing was to just go out and compete. And the thing I, I knew I was better 
but it was like, you know, just a process, like, you know, you're going to get disrespected. You got to do extra stuff in practice, you know, all that stuff, man. But the main thing was to lead by example. And when I say, man, I never took a practice off, man. I never took one step off that court to get water or anything, man. My grind was so, so serious that they had to make changes. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's let's go back a little bit, uh, Dre. Even before the draft, how many teams did you try out for, and where did you think you were going? Was it another place other than Cleveland? Um, man. Um, after the year that we went to the uh, after the year we went to the national championship was '98. So my college coach, he was like, uh, you know, because I was considered a junior. I was actually no. I was considered a senior in basketball. Yeah. I don't know. It was something like that. So he was like, you it got was, a chance to go to the NBA, but you graduated. You could appeal the year yeah. that you, you could appeal the year that you lost. So I was shook. I was like, man, I don't know nothing about no NBA. So um, I get on the phone with my coach knew David Falk. Hmm. So uh, that year before, David Falk had represented my teammate Keith Van Horn, who had got drafted behind Tim Duncan, you know, that that previous year. So David Falk was like, you want, are you going to come out? And I was like, I don't know. He was like, where do you think you can go? Where do you think you can go in the draft? I was like, I can go top 10 because shit, we just went to the national championship. I probably, you know, you knew Mike Bibby was going, Mike Bibby and whoever else point guards was in that draft. I was like, damn, so. I thought I was going to, if I would have came out, I would have got drafted to Sacramento because that's where White Chocolate got drafted. That's where White Chocolate got drafted to. And I was like, man, I'm better than him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, I was so spooked out, man, that I just appealed the year that I lost. And I was like, man, I'm staying in college. I'm staying yeah, in they college. Call, they call it the fifth year senior, pretty much. Yes. So, yeah, I was yeah. a Prop 48, and I was the first one that appealed that year. And one a year back, so guys like D Wade that came in and non qualifier, all these guys started appealing that year that the Prop Forty Eight year that they lost. Oh, we should call that the Andre Miller. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should call it the Scare Straight because I was I was like, no way am I going, no way am I going to the NBA, <laughs> and I and I really felt like as as talented as I thought mentally I was, I didn't think that I was ready, and I and, and not that I was ready, I was actually scared. I was scared. You know what's interesting about about your game and going from a winning program to there was some lean years in Cleveland during that time. But one thing coming out of that program, all you guys to me were very skilled and versatile. Even looking at Key Van Horn, I could love to see him play nowadays where we could actually respect the four shooting ability. Even somebody like Hondo Melilla, who I didn't even realize how big of a legend he was. I played two seasons in Finland. Yeah. And they basically got a statue of him. I actually saw him play my last year. He played a few games in the top league before he got hurt again. I mean, they worship him over there like it's nothing. But how did that help you? Because you had a sustainable career, but even early on making that adjustment, being a four-year player. And then, like I said, your skill level, you could post up, you can shoot, all that kind of stuff, your versatility. Is that something that kind of helped you eventually get on the court, even though you started behind a Brevin Knight um, early on? Um. Yeah, I think all that stuff helped helped me. Um, the main thing I, I I didn't take practice for granted. I didn't take I didn't take uh, putting in time time in after practice. 
I took it one day at a time. And I think the college experience and, and uh, learning that, you know, um, getting hurt, getting hurt wasn't acceptable at Utah. Getting mm. hurt, excuses, you know, like, like if it's a legitimate break or, or knee tear or something like that, everything besides that, you know, learning to play through an injury and just being reliable, being reliable, knowing that, you know, if I practice all the time and I put in the time, the coach is going to look down at the bench and after a while, he's not going to complain about my talent. All he got to know is that, hey, can I trust this guy and is he reliable? So I think that's where, that's where I earned the respect and was able to get minutes early on in my career behind two point guards because I was reliable and you knew what you was going to get out of me. You know, you was going to get the same thing that you saw in practice, hard work, going to get some defense, and I'm out there to control the pace of the game and help people get shots. Mm. So um, take us through that year um, <laughs> when you led the league in assists because, like, you wasn't – I mean, obviously you were a point guard, you know what I mean, a floor general, but, like, that one season when you just averaged about – I think you averaged about 10 and a half assists a game. Like, take, take us through that year, like, where – you know, you, you was assisting so high. Man, I played with some shooters, man. I still remember coming in because I came in with Trajan. I mm. came in with Trajan Langdon. And then you had Wesley Person there. You had Danny Ferry. You had um, what's the, Lamar Murray. Man, I had, Ooh, number yeah. shooters. Nice. I had a number of shooters around me, man. So, you know, and then what's crazy was I had a cold coach. I had a the one year when Randy Whitman got fired, they uh, hired John Lucas. Yeah. So John Lucas, John Lucas was like, he used to always call me Richard. He like, hey, he always called me Richard Pryor. So he like, Richard. <laughs> yeah, like, Richard, I want you to do something every time you got the ball in your hand. I want you to do something with it. Mm. And I mean, you know, he made it feel like it wasn't the NBA for me. You know, that's what made that that's what made it. You know, I had some vets in the locker room, Mark Bryant, you know, a couple uh Bimbo Coles, mm -hmm. where you know, even though it was the NBA and I was kind of like the culture shop because it's a dream, they was like, Man, this is just hooping. This is hooping, dog. So to see John Lucas come in the gym with a radio blast of music and he telling me, just go, like, hey, and no, and I make sure nobody say nothing to you. I mean, that's all he had to say. So, you know, all I had to do was just pass the ball because these guys, I mean, to be in the gym with, you know, three of, the, three of the best shooters I've been around in the gym with, you know, every time they shoot the ball, it, it feel like it's going to go in. It kind of made my job easier. Can, can you um, elaborate more on, on John Lucas real quick? Because everybody has nothing but high praise for this coach. Mm -hmm. you know, like, like one of the greatest player type, player coaches like of all time. You know what I mean? From what I've heard from people like, so take us, take us down that road with, with John Lucas a little bit more. And Kahoopin is all right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. yeah John Lucas probably, as much as he made it, you know, like it's the NBA, but it's just hooping. He was probably, I was just telling somebody this a couple weeks ago. He was the first person to pull me to the side because, you know, when you get in the NBA, you got all kind of stuff going on off the court, family, friends, girls all types of stuff and something that happened to me and I was crying in practice. I was, I was crying. 
and um like boohooing, like not on the court, but in the locker room. And he saw me, so he pulled me out. He pulled me out the gym, and he said, "Look here, Richard." He said, "He said on this level, he said on this level, you're not allowed to show no weakness." Mm. He said, "On this level, to make it in this league, you're not allowed to show no weakness." So any of that crying, blue, 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 you got to do. Take that home. Mm. And um. That's when I was like, okay, this is this is big boy. I gotta put my big boy pants on and whatever goes on off the court, you know, I gotta be able to, you know, be able to keep, you know, life, what's going on off the court and basketball separate. So he put it basketball in the perspective of, hey, you got basketball and you got family. Mm -hmm. And you gotta separate it. Because if you don't separate it, you ain't gonna survive. Nope. <laughs> You ain't gonna survive at all. And that was the first person, you know, him and Mark Bryan, you know, Mark Bryan, like, shut up with that, man. Put some bass in your voice. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it was just like, like little stuff like that. You know, you know, Mark Bryan taught me, you know, actually he was like, man, he told me I couldn't dress. He bought me some clothes. <laughs> you know, he bought me some clothes, man. You know, like little things, like, I mean, it wasn't a lot of clothes, but it was a couple shirts. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So. You know, those two guys, John Lucas, man, amazing dude, man, amazing. And he real, he real, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So did, I know you got your degree in sociology. Did that help you a lot in the NBA of bringing people together and structure and all of that, being a point guard also? I think I think I had it before, uh, before yeah. the college stuff. You know, I think we all got some of that sociology, that behavior stuff in us, like, you know, me and my buddies talk about these general managers of the NBA. I'm like, man, we are we are general managers. All of us, all of us on this on this podcast, we general managers. We could go to a court and, and just look at somebody and be like, okay, I want you, I want you on my team. I want no, I don't want this guy. You know what I'm saying? You know, mm -hmm. and, and build a team together. We all got that, we all got that in us. But I think, you know, just the generation that I grew up in and having, you know, uh a godfather and, and then also having, um, you know, watching the Lakers and how they shared the ball and how they had fun, you know, and that's what I taught my son. Like, you know, the best thing you could do in your life is help somebody get better, you know, lend, lend a helping hand, you know, so I knew I can always go out and get a bucket. I knew I can always score, but what made me feel better was when somebody say, Hey, Dre know how to give me a shot. Dre know, Dre know where I'm coming off. He know my rhythm. The Eager Dollars, the JaVale McGee's, the Wesley Persons, all these guys knew, hey, my personality was, hey, when Dre's on the court, he's gonna help me, he, he's gonna make the game easy for me. So that's the way I kind of built myself was, you know, the best thing that I can do in my life is to help somebody else, lend a helping hand, cause I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna find a way to get mine in the in the midst of all that okay so where we are now with the point guard being the focal point shooting threes having a score i mean i remember you shooting threes but you was more like I, they would say the mid-range guy the block yeah. guy getting the work in and basically just taking what the defense gave gave you what do you think about this era and where we are point guard playing i'm not even trying to make this about analytics and all that because i know that's a big debate but the game is played a lot different. What do you think as, as a former NBA point guard about that, where we are with the point guard position in the league? 
I, I, I love it. I love it. You know, at first I was fighting it. At first I was fighting it a little bit, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, the only thing that that I have a problem with is the physical part of the game. I think that's that's went away. You know, I don't mind all the shooting, you know, because guess what? After a while, it's just it's, it's something else that's going to change. But, you know, the one thing that all the kids going to have to learn, and I, and I coach kids out here in San Diego, uh, uh, like a postgraduate team, and, um, you know, don't always watch what you see on TV because, you know, at the college level, you're going to have to have the fundamentals. At the college level, you're gonna have to have the fundamentals. A point guard is gonna have to know how to run the team. But as far as the NBA, like I say, y'all know the NBA is hooping. So to see a guy like Stephen Curry come and do what he do, you know, the Damon Lillards, the Stephen, I mean, like, like, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I caught them kind of towards on the back end of my career. But to see a guy shoot the ball like that and move like that, and you know, man. You know, I'm ha- I'm hating that he didn't even play last year. You know what I'm saying? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, what these guys bring to the game, man, is special. But then you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who's kind of like old school and kind of quiet and kind of lead by just going out and hooping. So it's, it's good balance. It's good balance. The only issue I have with it is the physical part of it. Can I actually can I follow up with that real quick, Dre, uh, with the physical part? Because I have a theory. Now, obviously, you played in the league. I didn't. But I played at pretty high levels. I think today's game is a little bit tough on defense. And I'm going to tell you why. As a point guard, I couldn't imagine playing because I came in at, at the – because my career, obviously, not in the league, but it mirrors the progression of the game when pick-and-roll basketball says, I'm becoming a pro more and more. We're getting away from the floppy sets. And it's more horns, more high pick and roll. And being the overseas guy, I would have to guard the best player. And I could, I used to hate having to fight over that many pick and rolls. I could deal with when I was in college, getting bumped when I crossed the lane. And, yeah. you know, because we were still playing physical. To me, I would argue just from the outside looking in, I couldn't imagine playing 48 minutes, fighting over pick and rolls the whole game. And then having to make these long rotations like to the opposite corner to a shooter because everybody's so spread out. So I know the physicality, but it just seems like from a cardio standpoint, like I would be exhausted playing today because, you know, as the game changed, there would be times where you knew you weren't going to be involved in that play on defense because you stand in weak side because of the way the style was. So am, am I wrong for saying that as somebody that played in the league? Because that's that's my opinion when I look at it. Uh, you, you, you right, because I mean. You got to move your feet a lot more. You can't grab. You can't touch. You know, I mean, I mean, I tried to guard Iversons. I guarded all those guys that was good shooting guards and point guards. But, you know, to, to not be able to touch somebody and they could just run where they got to run and, and get to where they got to go, yeah, it's real hard on defense because you basically – you know, you you behind. You you're gonna be behind all the time on defense. So when uh Stern put in the you know the hand check rule, no hand check rule, you know the uh and then you you put in the no hand check rule and then say that you can play zone and change <laughs> the, you know uh illegal defense to defense of three seconds. So like I'm like uh where is we where is we going with this? But the main thing was they wanted they wanted more up tempo and more scoring. And, and I knew when it was almost coming to the end for me was when 
I sat on the side and I was watching Stephen Curry. I was playing in Minnesota. It was 2016, my last year. And Sam Mitchell, uh, Curry came out and hit like maybe 15, 16 points in a row. You know, to start the game. This is when he like, you know, just blazing like at the start of the game and third quarters. So Sam Mitchell, you know, puts me in. <laughs> and he's like, Dre, go shut his water off. I'm like, hold up, man. Like, like, and before you know it, man, this dude had like 30 some points. Like, if you telling me I can't grab this guy and kind of put my hand on him, you think I'm gonna chase this guy and this guy is in his twenties and he just flying like a bat out of hell. Oh uh, man, I was like, look, man, let me go come back and sit down, man. Let somebody else do this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you know, it is, it is harder, man. Defensively, it is harder. It's, it's harder because you can't, you can't grab and play physical like you used to. Yeah, and I also, to add on to that, I also think that, like, back in the day when you were able to touch and you was able to slide your feet and touch, yeah, it, it really kept the defender not in front of you, but slowing them down to get to their pivotal point. You know what I'm saying? If you can just, if you, only thing you can do is slide your feet, you know what I'm saying? That you remember growing up, that's all they taught us: slide, slide, slide. You know what I'm saying? And now, and I don't think they teach that today. Yeah. Like they taught us back in the day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I agree with all that. Yeah. Um. Quick question for you, Dre. Uh, they back in '02. Uh, do you think you broke the Jordan Cleveland curse? When you hit that three-pointer to give y'all the win against Jordan when he was at Washington? I don't even remember that. <laughs> all, all, all I remember, all I remember was when when Jordan came back and he came to Cleveland and he hit that game winner against us and he was talking a gang of trash. Man, that, that was fun, man. I don't remember all what that was. Three-pointer, I don't remember. I don't know. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't remember, yeah, you uh you hit the game winner against MJ from a pass from uh uh was that 02? Yeah, that was an 02. I think it was your third year. That year I think it was the year when you got the uh was the assistant. I don't remember. I don't even remember. Man, it went by it went by so fast, man. I don't even remember. Oh wow. <laughs> a lot, a lot, he ain't the only NBA player that goes to this. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, yeah. He's not. <laughs> he is not. Traumatized. Right. right. So um, how was your years in uh with playing with the Clippers and that team when you got there and they you was the missing piece that they felt that they needed. Man, you, you know what? That was probably the most talented team that I was on. Mm. It was probably the most talented and, and one of the more funner teams that I was on. But I think, shit, I think four of us was the same draft cat class. Me, me, Artest, Lamar, Elton, and Corey. Yep. We was all, you know, we was all coming up on free agency. So it was like, you know, dudes wasn't worried about no winning. And you were you playing for the worst organization in sports. So I still remember Lamar was like, man, get that, man. I got to give it. <laughs> I got to get mine, like, basically. So, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was that one year, man. But 
you know, um, we didn't make the playoffs, but I was glad I got out of LA though. Mm. Cause you know, to, to play in your hometown. Yeah, that was yeah. tough. <laughs> I was hiding. <laughs> so um, you, you, you're also known as one of the NBA Ironman. I think you played a consecutive game streak of 617 straight games. Like how did you keep your body prepared for that? Especially, you know, playing in the NBA, you know, I've seen it up close firsthand with Ron and you know, the hard work that y'all do and stuff. Like, how did you like, was able to play for basically about, what was that? Six years straight. Yeah. I took it one day at a time, man. One day at a time. And, you know, got a few nicks and bruises, you know, along the way. But, you know, I just didn't like the, I didn't like the, to feel like if I didn't practice that I was missing out on something or I, or I fall behind. And that's what the kids nowadays don't understand about practice. Like they feel that number one, they don't have to practice hard. And if they do practice hard, they worried about getting hurt. You know what I'm saying? Um, my thing was, I didn't want to, like, when you get hurt, you fall behind and you got to do more work to catch up. Yeah. You know, yeah. To, to, to get back healthy and to get back in shape. So I took pride in, in practicing. And my same thing is as far as to the reliability, being able to be relied on. Mm. You know, that's, 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 that's what I prided myself on. Yeah. But it's, it's crazy how you lost a streak, though. You didn't lose it to injury. <laughs> you lost it. Yeah, man. I still, I'm still looking for Stu uh, Jackson. Hey, I wanted to kind of ask you like a different question. When you were talking about that year in LA, and basically everybody's like, "Yo, I'm about to go try to get this bag. I'm gonna get up off this, off the Clippers." Nowadays, we see uh, guys kind of taking their career in their own hands, especially the superstars joining the teams. Do you think we put too much emphasis on winning rings and we've kind of lost the balancing perspective on that? Hey, this is arguably one of the greatest jobs in the world. And, you know, if you can earn some money to help your family generationally and all that kind of stuff, that might be just as important than maybe being remembered for a championship. Cause I feel like the balance is kind of out of whack now a little bit, just my personal opinion. How, how do you feel about that? It, it sucks to see see all these guys jumping on the on the same team. It sucks to see that, and it took for you know like you know if you if you in the moment you don't really think about it you know and that's you know just you know times are changing times are changing and they they just throwing money at guys that are unproven but that's the way of the, that's the way it goes now so. You know, you can't knock it because these guys are putting work in and, and they're understanding that, you know, you know, they got to take their career in their own hands. I mean, as much as I'm not a fan of uh, LeVar Ball, you know, he, he kind of changed the whole whole landscape of, mm -hmm. you know, kids taking, the own, taking their careers in their hands and not allowing the owner or a general, general manager to manipulate or an agent. You know what I'm saying? Like back then, uh, you know, I still, my agent, the one that told me to ask for a trade out of Cleveland, you know, he's like, like, man, are you serious? I still remember like they, hey man, we it's this kid from Akron. I'm like, who the hell is LeBron James? And my agent was like, look here, man, they're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna draft this guy. And I'm like, well, I wanna stay. Cause I was like, man, I like Cleveland. I wanna stay like the best thing for you to do is ask for a trade. 
and I listened to him. Mm -hmm. I couldn't play with LeBron James, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, so now these kids is taking their career in their hands and, and I'm happy for them, man. You know, it's, it's so much money out there and, and, and they got to get it while they can, because, you know, look at the Dak Prescott's of the world. Yeah. You know, look yeah. at look at all look, these guys that you know. The Marcus Cousins, yeah, Isaiah Thomas. Oh man, those two. I mean, man. those guys was on the verge of two hundred million dollar contracts. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And, and and just one little nick injury or you know something going on behind closed doors, and bam, that money will never be recouped. Yeah. You know That's what I'm cool. saying? They got They got to go out there and work for it. But Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward can take a take a buyout of thirty five million, and then go recoup it. Go yeah. recoup it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? In a matter of three or four days. Yeah. You know what I'm saying and, so. And, and one of the one of the one of the things that you talked about, because I was just thinking about what you just said about if you'd have stayed in Cleveland, that's when booze booze was there too, right? And, yeah. and, and Ricky Davis and. Oh man, D Miles, I, I think, was I believe, there too. Yeah, I believe Paul Silas started uh LeBron really at shooting guard back then. Yeah, yeah, if they would have had you at the point of him at the shoot at, at, at the two, that'd have been nasty, bro. Yeah, <laughs> earlier. I want to do what yeah. earlier, you know. Yeah, about playing the league, you know. Um, so you, you your, your, your career high. Is fifty two points. You know, what I mean, your previous career out before that was 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 thirty seven. You didn't even hit forty points real quick, and you just hit fifty two. Like you know, after over ten years in your career, like so, take us take us through that game because I know that you had to be in the zone. Like like, take us through it. Man, you know what's crazy? You talking about the fifty two point game? Yeah. Man, I don't know, man. It just happened. And I tell my partners, like I look back at it, man. I probably could have had sixty. 60 something and and I was older and I didn't I didn't get tired I hung out the night before mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 so, you know um you know it was just it was just one of those games man where it was just a flow man and you know that's the same year that Dallas won the championship against Dallas man it was so fun man and and to have your teammates support you when you do it because you know I'm already knew I could go out and get like 25, 35, but yeah. to get over over 35, you know what I'm saying? As a point guard, like yeah. I thought I was being selfish. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like nowadays dudes like they putting up 40, you know, as soon as they come in the gym. <laughs> so, you know, for me as a point guard, as a pass first point guard to get over 35 points, you know, I felt I could have got more yeah. But it was it, it felt it felt selfish. It felt selfish when I did score those points. Mm. It's crazy though too that you only made one three, the only three you took. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, I just I just it was just a it was just the floor of the game. Here I come. It was the floor of the game. Yeah. It was the floor of the game, the way the game went. And um, you know, it, it was it was fun, man. It was fun. Yeah. And I know that you gotta go soon, so you know, I just wanted to also bring up that you are definitely one of the, the most underrated players in NBA history. You know, the only one with um over 8,000 assists, over 16,000 points, 
to have never, you know, made an all-star. So like, how does that feel to have that, you know, over your, um, over your name? Is just being like the, the highest score, one of the highest, one of the best players who have never made an all-star game. Man, I don't, I don't even care, but it was maybe about three or four times where, you know, I was hoping I heard my name, you know, make the all-star team. And, you know, I was like, well, at least I get to go kick it all-star weekend now, you know, <laughs> go kick it. That's how I had to look at it, man. But, you know, you know, I felt that, you know, at least maybe three or four times I could have made that team, but I understand that, you know, it's a popularity contest. And, and also, man, the superstars make the league. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. The superstars make the league, and that's something that I realized. But there's also a lot of grinders out there that, you know, they like a little bit of attention from time to time. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, it was so many questions. There's so many more questions. Yeah, I mean, and we might have to do it. Brandon Roy, we gotta get into. We had, we had to get hey, into hey, we could do, we could do, we could do this anytime, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't have no life, man. I just got this little, this little, <laughs> this little coaching gig, man. We out here with this COVID stuff. We've been outside working out outside, man. So you know, I'm trying to you know spread a little knowledge to these to these youngsters. I work for the school called uh, Balboa here in San Diego. Okay. It's like a like a prep school, so they got three teams, and I coach the postgraduate team. And you know, so if y'all know any kids that can hoop, you know, some big fellas that that you know, well, let's let we could definitely get together again and do it, man. I like to pick y'all brains, man. Okay, oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm gonna name this. I'm gonna name this part one. I'm gonna name this part one because we yeah. definitely. Yeah. I gotta get them over on the off the glass podcast. <laughs> I gotta get them over there on that. Oh, definitely, man. Platform. Definitely, man. Give my number. Man. Yeah, yeah, I send. Uh, Chris. Yeah, I send your number. Yeah, and we can all get together, man. Whenever, man. And I'm in y'all city, or y'all down here in LA or San Diego, we link up. All right, that's dope. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate your time, man. Definitely enjoy it, man. Thanks for answering my call, man. Every time I hit hey, you, hey, no, up, no, anytime, man. I just ain't had time for them dominoes yet, but I'll be ready. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that too about you. I heard you nice on them bones too. I heard no, that, man. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. But when I get, I see you in Vegas soon, man. I hit you up and uh, let's let's talk soon, y'all. Uh, all right, for all sure. right, peace. All right, y'all take care. All right, all right, now.